Welcome to another episode of Morning Coffee with your host, Rick Alexander. I started this show to talk about all of the interesting, complex, paradoxical, and sometimes uncomfortable aspects of the human experience. If you get anything from this show, the greatest compliment you could give me is to share this show with somebody that you think the message may resonate with or to head to iTunes and give us a five-star review. Additionally, if you want to interact with me, you can follow me at rickalexander underscore on Instagram. Without further ado, on to the show. Happy Saturday. Welcome to this bonus edition of Morning Coffee. So there's a movement started last year on Instagram called Thank You Plant Medicine. And I figured that today, since that is today is the annual day of that movement, or the day that we recognize that movement, I guess, um, would be a time to finally do an episode that I have been thinking about for years and years, honestly, since the very first moment that I ever did any kind of plant medicine, I've been considering how to do this episode, how to talk about it. Now, part of the reason it's taken so long is because, well, because I I had to know what I thought about it. And so there's been a lot of integrating and a lot of unpacking. And then the second part of that is the same reason, quite honestly, it took me so long to do it in the first place, which is we just have years and years of fear around this stuff. You know, there's a movement, you know, this absolutist mindset that we tend to live by in our culture, which lumped all drugs together. And so we said, look, all drugs are bad. They're, that's what drugs are. And uh, we repressed it culturally. You know, when I think of the 60s and the psychedelic kind of rage that took place, and I've done a decent amount of research on that time era. Time era. I've listened to a lot of Timothy Leary, Aldous Huxley, a lot of Ram Dass, of course, Richard Albert. And, you know, it's interesting. I almost consider that like the first time, you know, the first time we got fire as humans. I'd imagine we weren't great cooks. I'd imagine it took us a while to understand how and why we continued to burn ourselves so badly. And I think when psychedelics flooded the scene, there was a little bit of that. I think we didn't really understand how to harness fire. We didn't really understand that we had to be careful around it. And we didn't understand what it was for. And I still think we don't understand those things at all. Um, but there certainly are cultures who have had this as part of of their practice, as part of their spiritual program for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. And so I don't think it's appropriate to lump them all together is what I'm saying. I think that it's a very nuanced thing. And, you know, there are organizations now, there's a there's a movement to use plant medicines to really help people. And the reason I'm doing this episode is because it really helped me. In fact, you know, I would say it's it was like 100 years of therapy in a single night. The first time I had ever Uh, ingested psilocybin mushrooms. And, you know, it was so profound that I'm now going through a practitioner course in order to be able to bring other people on these experiences. Um, I really believe in it. I believe in it for PTSD. And I think that the data is starting to show that. You know, you look at the landmark study that came out of John Hopkins treating uh, drug-resistant depression, 
and people that were addicted to cigarettes and alcohol and just the astronomical rates of success that they had with that study, they actually had trouble publishing it because they felt like nobody would believe um, the results that they were getting. And that was from one dose of psilocybin. I believe it was three grams. Don't correct me on that. But that the experience I'm going to talk about today was also three grams. And then you look at the work that MAPS is doing right now to treat PTSD with different psychedelics. And, you know, you get to this place where you realize that there's very little in the world as far as interventions that we have right now that could be as successful as these plant medicines. We need to open the book back up and have real conversations about what these things are and how they might have a place in our culture. And I think that that's what's happening right now. And I think you're seeing it all over. And part of the reason that I've decided to go into this direction a bit in my own work, you know, it's because companies like Nike exist. Quite honestly, I know that there are people that are going to take this thing, which is sacred. There's no doubt about it. I mean, there are cultures in which peyote is something akin to an experience with Jesus Christ, right? There's no doubt about it. And so these things are sacred, whatever it is that you think of them. But in our culture, we don't have, you know, we don't have a word for, for sake, for the sacred. We don't recognize what's sacred. And because of that, I think there's going to be a lot of companies that come on board, just like there have been with marijuana and just like every other industry, right, that, that can help people. And they're going to monetize it and they're going to corporatize it and they're going to make it a really big thing. And I can't do anything about those kinds of companies existing in the world. What I can do is be a light. And for that reason, I've decided to do this episode. And, you know, that's also why I'm trying to understand how to facilitate these things in a responsible way, what they mean, how they speak to us on such a deep level. And quite honestly, from the moment that I finished my first trip, so to speak, it ignited a curiosity in me for the unseen, for, for my own soul, for the depth in this life that has not ceased until this day. And I mean that quite literally. And so the way that I'm going to do this episode in honor of this Thank You Plant Medicine Day, the first thing I'm going to do is share a piece that I wrote about my first trip. It would be impossible for me to write about every single thing that happened in that first trip. But I am going to, I've tried uh, many, many times. So I'm going to read something that I wrote, which helped kind of at least touch on the wave tops of what I was going through while it was happening. Um, and then the third part, this, the final part of this episode is I'm just going to talk about the recap. I'm going to recap like what, what I think happened there and how did, how did it help me and how could it help you if you're interested in this? And also how could it hurt you? Because this is a sword and there are two blades to it, you know, and uh, it could be really helpful and it can also cut your head off real quick. And so I think it's important to have a real conversation about how difficult these experiences can be and how fruitful they can be. I think one place that these can be really beneficial, which we don't have in our culture, is to replace the idea of a rites of passage. Like we don't have an initiation into adulthood and Historically, when tribes do use utilize initiations in order to move people from one phase of life into the other, it's extremely risky and it's extremely painful. And that's because that process is inherently painful. And I think we're in the point where we have to understand just because we live in this modern world, 
doesn't mean we get to get out of the pain that inherently comes with being alive and the risk associated with becoming a fully functional adult. I think we kid ourselves in thinking that we can, well, and we do it on every level, right? We hide from the weather when it's inclement. We, we do everything we can to stay out of the harsh realities of our world. And one thing that plant medicine can do for you is put you right in the midst of the harsh reality. And, and as you play with that fear and see that fear from a different light, you see that there wasn't as much to run from as you thought. It gives you permission to step into who you're here to be in this world. And I'm going to just talk about these substances as I've researched, as I've experienced, and do it in the, the best way that I can with an unbiased look, talk about my experience. Uh, I have nothing to sell you here, and so I'm hoping that that helps me keep, keep it in a light that is productive for you. So we'll jump into part two here where I read this piece on my first experience. And uh, something to know, because I said we, we have so much fear around this and I was no different. Um, I, I certainly was not open to something like this for most of my life. I was in such a rock bottom place as I'll get to that I did open myself to it. And uh, my buddy who introduced them to me I don't remember the exact conversation, but when he got there, I was pretty scared. I was like pretty nervous. And I was like, you know, man, I, I think I'll just do half, you know, like just trying to put my foot in the water. And he's like, no pressure. He's like, you totally can do half, but uh, I'm going to be sad for you. And there was something in him saying that that made me realize like, okay, it's time. It's time to stop being so afraid of everything in the world. And uh, it went something like this. From a realm akin to heaven, and I've recently understood this to be what people would describe as the astral plane, right? It, you're, you're somewhat disembodied, and that's what happened to me. I had this disembodied experience. And so from this realm, I look down on the earth, and I should clarify here that already we've reached a place where my words are falling infinitely short of the actual experience. It wasn't like I was beamed up to heaven to stand atop white, fluffy clouds to have a chat with St. Peter. Instead, it was as if my mind had inhabited a higher place of existence. Even to use the word I here is somewhat misleading. Though there was a conscious experience of me, of I, I also had the slight sensation that my body was no longer under the tyranny of time and space. Instead, there was nothing in all of the cosmos that was not me. And having experienced that for a minute, when I hear people talk about us all being one, and I know that they don't see the world from that perspective, I see why their words are so hollow and why it falls so short. Because when you actually have that experience, even, even when it's fleeting, um, the only thing you can feel is love, the love that was poured into this entire place. And I looked down to see that the surface of the earth was filled with commotion. I couldn't see any specific creatures or places or circumstances taking place as much as I could see the cyclic animating energy that inhabited everything that ever was or will be. I saw good and evil too, sometimes crashing into each other and at other times just turning over like water. And it was like they were just flowing where the other one was not. And what struck me was how acceptable I found the whole scene to be. This is something I've wrestled with even now. I saw each one doing their part, you know, the good and the evil, in service to the whole. 
like like they were necessary parts of the whole as if you know you might say well would i ever find the light if it weren't for the darkness it was almost as if i could see the place that it had and i guess because i was my perspective was was so expansive i didn't feel the need to cling to the good or reject the evil what i saw and what i felt told me that nothing fell outside the lines of an ultimate good. And in fact, the word good is utterly incapable of describing the true sense of what underlies all that is. Love and God might be better words, but these words have been defined so many times that they too are, they're just too confining to encompass the ultimate substructure of reality as it was revealed to me in this moment. And this is one of the things that sent me back into trying to understand ancient wisdom you know, specifically the wisdom texts. And, you know, every one of them really describes this entire place as being a manifestation of God, meaning we're all loved into existence. And in this moment, it was the only thing I could feel was that as as the the ultimate truth of what we're doing here. And even now, when I think back on the experience, I find the notion of such objectivity to good and evil, utterly incomprehensible. It's as if finite creatures are barred from such knowledge and must earn their freedom by rightly contending with the duality of a fractured reality. Though some among us, mystics and the like, do seem to experience reality as if it is all one, such people are few and far between. For every thousand that talk as if they do, one might actually experience it. And as I noted before, I I note it just because there's something tragically cheap that occurs when people talk from a vantage point that they don't have or that they've never experienced. And what these can be in the best sense of their use is they can be a window to that experience of oneness. Prior to the entire cosmos opening up to me, things were not going well in my life. Um, relationships were falling apart. Uh, my work had grown utterly meaningless. And every time I got behind the wheel of a car, I either fantasized about running it into oncoming traffic or this one cement piling that held up a freeway overpass um, that I would pass every time I went to work. I felt in my core that I didn't possess the sort of internal constitution that would allow me to go through with ending my life, but that also made me frustrated. It frustrated me even more because it gave me the feeling that I was stuck here. I felt as if I couldn't be here and I also wasn't free to leave and it was miserable. Well, as I looked down on the earth, observing its underlying reality, I was also in dialogue, not through the spoken word, but more like an exchange of thoughts. It felt like it was between me and something far wiser and uh, far more expansive than me. Every ounce of information I received gave me an intense clarity about my life. For 30 years, I was lost, like a mouse in a maze, frantically searching and scurrying around, running into nothing but dead ends. Now, something had lifted the maze, and I saw that all around me was everything that I could ever need. What was interesting is I, the moment I had it, um, my grandfather had just died, and I was struggling to come to grips with that fact, one. And two, I was struggling a bit with myself because I had stopped going home for a few years for personal reasons. And so I hadn't been that close with him when he passed, and I was really beating myself up for that. 
And so the first thing that happened in this trip is I relived every single moment that I had ever had with my grandfather. And so much so that I didn't obviously have memory of all these moments. So I went back and asked my parents about some of them. And they were like, oh, yeah, that happened, which was interesting. And so I relived every single moment I'd ever had with my grandfather all the way back up until his funeral. But this time I was crying, not because I was sad as I had at his actual funeral, um, but this time I was crying because I, I just couldn't believe how lucky I had been to have all of those memories with such an incredible human being. And this voice that I mentioned that I was in dialogue with was like, do you get it now? This is all just yours to choose. You can do whatever you want with this. And in that moment, I kind of came back in the room and, you know, I'm crying, but happy, <laughs> interestingly enough. And the next thing that happened is I went back to this moment in seventh grade. I, I had a CD that I really liked. I'm huge into music and poetry, if you can imagine, when I was a kid. Um, so I come running out of my room and I show my sister and I'm like, hey, you, you got to check out this CD, this band. And I show it to her. And she doesn't like it, but like she's an older sister and that's what they do, right? So she was like, this is garbage. Well, she just brushes me off. But, you know, it was something to me that was, I was passionate about, like really, really, really passionate about music and poetry and writing and how people were expressing themselves in the world. And in that moment that she like kind of brushed me off, I then went to all of these other moments in my life and realized that almost every single decision I had made up until that point was so that I could never feel that again. So I would never have to feel that again. And uh, that was revelatory because I realized how many times I were making decisions just to not be brushed off by people rather than what I just wanted in my own life. And, you know, at the end of it, that voice again just kind of popped in. It was like, do you get it now? It's all just yours to choose whatever you want. This is your life. You can do whatever you want with it. And um, then I came back to the room and I'm, I'm back there again. And I'm like, oh my gosh. So I'm journaling a little bit about a couple of those memories and a couple of those experiences. And then I go back in and I relive some, some more stuff in the middle. I won't touch on it because it's not that important to the story uh, in my current, with my current relationship at the time. But the same voice kept coming up throughout it. And it was just like, I had these feelings of, oh, I'm not good enough for this person. And so I would relive these moments and we'd get back there and it would just say, do you get it now? It's all just yours to choose. Come back into the room again. And then that's when I had the full, uh, I guess you would consider it something like an ego death, but I left the body completely behind and I went to this place that I described at the beginning of this, which I think is something like a, an astral plane hard looking back now on what it what it really was. Um, but I had the sense that I was gone. I had the sense that I was dead. I was not on earth for sure. And I had a, a an ex-girlfriend who had died a few years before. Um, I was carrying around a lot of guilt because I didn't feel like I had treated her as well as she deserved. And she was just a great human. And, you know, she when she died, it, it was like, man, I, I just don't know if she got what she deserved here on this earth. And that really broke my heart. And she came to me in this in this moment as nothing but light. Um, very interesting, right? Because you're not talking, because you're not embodied, but people were showing themselves as orbs of light, maybe like what their primordial um, primordial makeup is. I'm not sure. And she was like, "It's okay. Like it's all okay. Look down at that place." And that's when I looked down on Earth, and I could see 
the cyclic nature of everything. And this is something that you'll hear people on psychedelics talk about, which is that they see evil or badness in a sense that they don't they don't feel so emotionally attached to it. They see that it's got its place. And the reason I said it's utterly incomprehensible now is because though I can remember seeing that and thinking that right now back to being a human, it's like, look, I, I, you know, I don't know. I, I can't imagine how I got there, um, but it's a really high perspective, which is a little bit of what we'll talk about next week on the show. So then, you know, I had relived this life of mine in all these different ways that I was carrying around all these different patterns of guilt for and shame for. And then I have this conversation with what I felt like God, but like, who knows? I I don't know, maybe something just wiser than me, maybe the universe, you know, just something really expansive was like, do, do you see that it's all just yours to choose? And, you know, by that time, this voice, I realized what this voice was had been coming up throughout this trip that was like, it's all just yours. You can choose whatever you want with it. And so I was like, at that time was the first moment I actually saw that like, you know, what the Buddha says is like in every moment we have a new decision. Like we have a new, we can make a new choice in every single moment. We're always presented with the newness of life, but we're so conditioned by our thought process and our patterns that we can't take advantage of it or we don't take advantage of it rather. And in that moment, I really saw the truth in that, how my patterns and my thoughts my guilt and my shame had been leading me down certain ways of being in the world. And then the life that I was getting was a reflection of those ways of being. Then this voice was like, you can stay or go. It's up to you. You don't have to go back. And obviously that was probably dealing with that just intense feeling that I had of like just feeling trapped on this earth, to be honest with you. And um, it was like, now that you see what all of this is, um, now that you really see it, you can stay or go. What do you want to do? It's just yours. You can, you, it's yours to choose. It's always been yours to choose, whatever you want. And at this point was interesting, right? Because I, you know, when you're in these cycles of depression and sadness, the world takes on a gray hue. Like there's no vibrancy about it. Whatever it is that you're interested in, you can't see anymore. It's all very passionless. But by this moment, after I had relived all of this, this life that I had, this world that I had dismissed as passionless, was in fact bursting forward with creativity and love and generosity and um, yeah, that would be the best way to put it. And so this world that I had I had dismissed, all of a sudden, I saw that like I could really be something here, you know, not not for me, but for everybody that I got to share my story with. And in the moment, so I it was like I was almost pleading for my life in a way, which is a fascinating too, right? Because I had wanted it gone and now I was like, no, I, I want to go back. Well, the moment that I had that thought, I want to go back, I'm back in my body in San Diego and I'm like looking around the room and the first thing I look at is my uh, microphone, actually the microphone I'm talking into right now. My laptop is open and my notebook is open and I just see... I see it as I come back and I just have this realization of like, okay, well, you've got work to do now. And uh, that was my first trip. So we'll go into part three here and I'll talk a little bit about what I experienced and what I think it meant. So this moment where I'm sitting on the couch and I look over 
and I see my microphone and I see my pen and I have this feeling of like, okay, well, it's time to work. This is what I think psychedelics can give us. This is what plant medicine can give us specifically is they can show us the opportunities in our life that we need to work, you know, to do better, to apply. There can be a really toxic cycle that happens when you are going through ceremony after ceremony or you're just coming back to these things. And believe me, I felt that before to get another date with destiny, to get the answer again you have to remember that what's happening is that these substances are showing you the answers that you already have that are already inside of you. Um, you might not have understood the perspective. Now, one of the things that happens scientifically here is that the, at least with psilocybin, is what it does is it shuts down the fear sensor in the amygdala and then it increases the uh, neural activity in the hippocampus and the memory. And so you got to think one of the reasons that we don't remember certain things that have happened to us. Like if I remember back to that moment in seventh grade with my sister and the CD, we don't remember those things because we have an interest in keeping ourselves safe. And if we if we perceive that moment as inherently traumatizing or inherently painful, we have an, our, our fear sensors keep us from going back and exploring those memories. And so one of the things that plant medicines do is by decreasing your fear sensors and increasing your memory, they allow you to go look at memories for what they actually are. And one of the things that people find is that they spend their whole life running from memories they didn't know they had. And that's what it, that's exactly what it gave me um, right in the middle of that trip there. And so what it does is it, it opens up a window into who you are, into the life that you're living, and it shows you where to do the work. And then, you know, where that becomes toxic is when you're on your 57th ceremony and you, uh, you're still just going back looking for answers and you have this massive shadow that you've become aware of that's asking you to integrate it. And so just recognizing that they're not your answer, but they'll definitely show you some things about yourself. And now we can proceed to what we would call the bad trip of people that, that trip on like psilocybin, for example, the probability that you're going to have a truly, truly mystical experience is something like three to five percent. It's pretty low, but I think you got to do a high enough dose. And that's part of the reason that people don't, because that's scary, right? You go half stepping into God's house and find yourself in a scary situation pretty fast, which leads me to the something, I think it's less than 10% of people that wind up in something approximating hell and they have what you call the bad trip. And there are a couple of reasons that I think this happens. I think one reason it happens is simply uh, it's a control issue because what happens is you have to let go of control. You, you don't get to be in control of these experiences, which I think is you know inherently positive because you're not that in control of your life, though you convince yourself that you are. And so there's that aspect that can be beneficial just for increasing psychological flexibility as you go through your life. And this is also why certain people will recommend doing a higher dose specifically because it pushes you right through the ego. Like it, like you, like what happened to me, I came out of a cannon. Like there was no staying in my body. It was, I was gone. Um, and so I guess that there's, there's some benefit in that, in, in doing it that way. But also the thing that I would say about a bad trip is when I went down to Costa Rica and I did ayahuasca, very little of that. And I mean, very little, would you would you classify as a joyful experience? I mean, I died 
as a frog in the mud. Some of you have listened to that episode I did years back, but I died as a frog in the mud, like from this experience I had when I was eight years old. Like that's not what you would consider to be enjoyable. I don't know what a bad trip is, but it felt a lot like that. And it was overwhelmingly positive. And so sometimes I think we have really tough experiences when we're here on these things. And the more we resist them, the tougher they get. And at the same time, oftentimes I think they're just showing us something and they're asking us to learn through pain. And the more we resist it, the less we learn and the more painful it gets. And I think that feedback loop happens in our everyday lives. It's just not pronounced because you have a better grip on your reality, so to speak, until you don't. Um, Another time that I've really never talked about before, but I took LSD and what it felt like is I was taking on all of the suffering that was around me for nine straight hours and it was brutal. And I mean, it was, yeah, it was really tough. And then I woke up the next morning and it was, you know, it was incredibly, first of all, I was incredibly happy to be alive. And you might say that like, no shit, but I, but I would say that that's an experience that not a lot of people have, you know, not a lot of people wake up on a Sunday morning and are incredibly thankful to be in their skin and to be alive. And that's something that can take you really far. I mean, just just that one thing alone. And then as I started to unpack that experience, I realized where I was carrying the suffering of people around me. Like that that is what I was doing. It was just what it what it was on a slow drip. So I couldn't really realize it. I was like I was in a bad mood kind of, but not recognizing what I was doing because I was doing it on such an unconscious level. And so what it felt like on this experience that I would, what I would classify as a bad trip is for nine hours, it was like, instead of the slow drip of the faucet, somebody turned it all the way on and it was really painful and also really liberating because the drip stopped. And so, yeah, I think, you know, I wanted to address the bad trip because it happens. Um, But I just don't know the words good and bad are, not that appropriate when you talk about something that allows you to see, give you this level of insight into your life and into the world and into your place in it. And then the final part that I wanted to touch on was just the idea of awe, right? I think that we don't understand or we don't talk about awe as medicine. And specifically because we're not in awe that much in our lives, right? Like when we're going to work and coming home and paying bills, like there's not a lot of awe that happens and you kind of got to like really seek it out to find it and it's around you all the time and the thing that plant medicines can give you is the recognition of what is really around you as i said i got really interested in wisdom texts after that so i was driving to the beach the next morning after my first psilocybin trip and i was listening to the radio and i had no religious life at that moment um, though I, I, a huge part of me was really craving a spiritual life. I didn't, I didn't have access to one because it had been presented to me in a way that didn't resonate. And so I felt like if it wasn't that, it was nothing. And I was listening to the radio and a preacher came on and he was talking about heaven and hell. And it was fascinating because what I felt in that moment, this isn't a value judgment on preachers or anything, but what I felt in that moment was like, oh, I see what you're talking about. You don't but I see what you're trying to describe. And yeah, you're kind of close, but it's a little bit different than that. And who knows, because who knows where I really went and who knows what he was talking about, but it gave me this sense of coherence with the world's great religions that I think I found to be really intriguing as I've explored it. And so as finite creatures, it's easy 
for us to take on the weight of the world on ourselves and treat ourselves as if we're God. And when we do that, we that's what moral relativism does, for example, right? Because there is no right or wrong. It's all just dependent on you. And I think it's a really good, I think it's a really good idea at first until you realize that everything you believe has a really deep consequence. And what moral relativism, for example, gives you is the power of deciding ultimately what's right and wrong. And if you put yourself in enough tough situations, you're going to find that you probably don't have the power to make that decision because right and wrong is a really tough line to find, um, especially in dark times. And what you do is you unconsciously carry the weight of being the sort of top of your own value hierarchy, the top of your own universe around. And that creates a lot of weight and the weight pushes your psyche into different places. It fragments your psyche inherently is what it does. And one of the things I found is, you know, you find yourself before all that is and it one strikes an amount of awe in you that makes you realize what a gift it all is and the second thing it does is it puts you in right relationship with everything that is and that's what I feel like I got is I was walking around thinking that I was the one that had to choose right from wrong and what to do with my life and all of this stuff you know you we're in the darkness now in our modern culture of thinking there's no design in it all. Like we're not here for any reason. It's just figure it out. You're just a lump of matter and then you'll be gone. And when you are really in awe of all that is, it puts you in right relationship with the entirety of the cosmos. Like quite honestly, I can't, can't say that in, in a, you know, less dramatic way. And when that happens, the freedom in realizing that you get to just come back and be you like all you have to do is be human you don't have to be god here and that's a realization that can be really liberating because you're only here to play to do your thing to play your part to to be your you know whatever your role is and if we understood that it would free us from a lot of the pressure that we walk around with every day and so yeah this is my experience the first time i did plant medicine it's part of the reason Again, why I'm like trying to figure out, like really starting to take practitioner courses and learn about how to facilitate these experiences because there's a lot of people that are suffering in the world and it could do them a lot of good to realize how much there is in the world beyond themselves. And I think that one of the great things that plant medicines does for us is it reconnects us with the rest of the world. And so as I got to the beach that next day, right? I told you I was listening to this preacher on the radio, got to the beach the next day and I went for a run with a friend and I just couldn't stop looking like at it all, like at the ocean. And interestingly enough, I had worked right there. I'd worked on that beach that I had gone on a run on and I had never I felt like I'd never seen it for what it actually was. Now this is post trip, right? This is the next day. And I just saw the the beauty in it all and the depth in it all. And once you see that, you can't unsee it. And it gives you a north arrow. You know, it gives you something to try to get back to when things aren't going so well or you know, the monkey mind is starting to take over. You remember a little bit about what all of this is. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed this episode. This was literally the experience in my life. We'll talk Monday on Morning Coffee.